0: Welcome to Central Assembly's podcast. Here is a message from our lead pastor, Kurt Jenkins. We pray this message speaks to you. All right, if you want to grab a notepad in front of you, uh, you can. If not, you try to flip through. Most of the verses will be up on the screen here as we go along. We're going to touch on different verses in different locations. Context is everything. So what I encourage you to do, I'm making a point. By talking about one verse, I'm trying to drive one specific point home. But what I want you to do is go back and read the passages before and after. You'll learn the context, the relationship of what the author was trying to say, even the, the entire chapter before and after. And you'll get a, 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 a bigger picture of what God is saying to the people at that time. It's just more than what we have time for now. So when we lay, What we're trying to do is lay out scriptures over these next several weeks and, and over the past few weeks of what, uh, what is in God's word about God being a good God. So we see truth after truth after truth laid out in Scripture. What we have to realize is this. When you see something in Scripture that opposes something that you currently believe. So God has said, listen, this is truth. I've given it to you. You found it. There's truth. There's a process of repentance that needs to take place. Now, some people think repentance is like God found out you were doing something really bad and you have to come to the altar and cry your eyes out and everybody's looking, they're repenting at the altar now. You feel like it has to be a painful process. It doesn't. Listen, repentance is going from something lesser to something greater. All, all you're doing is you're, it's an awareness that I've been going down a wrong path of maybe uh, just wrong theology in one area, even of the goodness of God, right? So I believe that God's good most of the time. I believe that God's good some of the time but God's word showing me that he's good all of the time. As soon as that light bulb goes off, you should not want to stay in the theology that God's good some of the time. So God's good all of the time. Wait a minute, I didn't get this before. I thought that he was mad at me some of the time. I thought when I messed up, he judged me, all this stuff. So when you see a revelation of God's word, you should want to repent. And repentance is thinking differently about what you used to think, what you used to believe. So I used to have the theology that God's good some of the time. His word says it's all of the time. I'm turning away from the belief that he's good some of the time toward the belief that he's good all of the time. As your theology changes, your lifestyle will also change. That's what repentance is. So last week, man, we dug deep into the Old Testament. and We looked at where God had a discipline, punish, curses, all those things. Hopefully the Lord gave you a revelation that in the midst of that, he is good. And it should lead us to repentance. See, religion will tell you that right living is going to lead to right believing. Right? You have to get everything right first, and then you'll believe what's right. But Jesus says the opposite. He says that right believing will lead you to right living. So repentance is believing God's word to be true, even in the midst of circumstances that don't match God's word. When your belief comes into alignment with the truth, then your life will come into alignment with that truth. Lifestyle will follow that belief. What I wanna talk about today is really why we originally wanted to worship at the end is pursuing God's goodness intentionally, staying in that attitude of worship so that we become more like him. There's a great quote here. and N.T. Wright said this. It should be on the screen there. It says, You become like what you worship. When you gaze in awe, admiration, and wonder at something or someone, you begin to take on something of the character of the object of your worship. Isn't that awesome? Nowhere in the Bible Does it say, get all your stuff together and then come to God? The Bible says, come to God, look at me, and as you look to me, and as you worship me, and as you attach yourself to me, as you focus on me, you will become like me. I'm not saying we're becoming God, not at all. His nature, as we focus on him, as we put our eyes upon him, we can throw out all of the things we're just trying to do right, because it's all in our own power and we're going to fail miserably. But when we look to him, then he's going to guide us into right living, into righteous lifestyle. So when we think about it, God's beauty and his perfection and his goodness is threaded all the way from the Garden of Eden all the way through the final judgment. You know God's goodness and his beauty is actually found in in the final judgment? We look at him as being angry instead of looking at him as being pure and holy. And he's the righteous judge. And it's even in the final judgment that his goodness can be found. It's are we looking at it? Are we looking for it? It's what we focus on that's going to determine what we become. I want to look at a few verses from Colossians chapter 3. They'll be on the screen here. Starting at verse 1, this is Paul talking to the uh, church, a a bunch of churches that met in one city. says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ. He says, set your sights. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Set your sights on the realities of heaven. Listen to that, what he's saying. Since you're now new, how did they become new? By good works or by faith? By faith. By faith in Christ, they're now made new in Christ. He's saying, since this has already happened, since you've already been raised to new life, this is what you should do. Do all of the good things that you should do. Be the best person you can be try really hard. He's not saying any of that. What he's saying is, set your sights on the realities, the truth in heaven. He says, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he goes on, he says, think about the things of heaven, not the things of the earth. For you died to this life and your real life was hidden with Christ in God. We talked about that last week, right? How God came into covenant with man, but it was really with Christ first, and now we're hidden with Christ, so we're in covenant with God. But what Paul's saying here is this, set your focus, set your worship, set all of your attention on things above, things of heaven, not just heaven itself, but the one who reigns in heaven. Because if you're setting your sight and setting your focus and thinking about things on earth, you will not discover the goodness of God. fact, like Jim Twigger came up to me while we were worshiping, A word from the Lord that he was sensing is that some people in here are not able to break through and to press in because of your circumstances in life. God's inviting you. You can break through today. You can press in today. You can meet with God today when you get outside of your circumstances and set your mind on things above. It's quite clear through life. Like if you're more than a day old, you're going to face problems. Even on day one, you do. Right? So there's stuff that happens in life. Are we going to get consumed with these things? If you're going to, you're going to see all the bad things that are happening, all the wrong things that are happening, and you're going to use that as your measuring stick, and you're going to say, there's no way that God's good. Look at all of this stuff that's happening. Instead of setting your mind on things above and say, I know he's good, he's going to get me through all of these things that are happening. It's what we set our mind to. It's where our focus is. It's where our worship is will become that in which we give our attention to. A few verses down in verse 10, it says, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Now, Paul's not saying here, listen, in your own power and in your own effort, put on your new nature. No, he's saying, realize this, you're already raised to new life in Christ. Put that thing on, agree with it. God gave you a brand new set of clothes. Put them on. There's grace. There's enablement to just get those things on. And watch what he says here. And be renewed. How are we renewed in this? As you learn to know your creator. I love the New Living Translation. Most translations put this this last phrase back in the beginning. So it's drawing it out for us. And become like him. So that phrase, be renewed. Is it, that actually, it literally means causing to become more and more like something. So what it's saying is, is this. You can become more and more and more like the nature of God as you, what? Learn to know your creator. Now that word or that phrase, as you learn to know, that's a word that comes from the word knowledge. But it's not a head knowledge. This is great. If you look this up, it is not a knowing more about God. It's not that you got all the commentaries out and all the theologians and you got the ones that all agree with each other and now you can list all of the things that you can list about God. Absolutely not. This is an experiential knowledge. It's personal interaction. It's I'm not studying a fact sheet about my wife. I'm spending time with her, getting to know her in relationship. That's what we're doing with God. But if all you do is you study God, void of relationship, void of worship. Then you look at the Old Testament and say, he was really mad. There's no way he's good all the time. But he's saying you can be renewed as you get to know him, through personal relationship, through worship. It's the same reason, those of you who are parents, tell your kids to hang out with the right kids, right? The more they hang out with the right kids, the more that nature rubs off on them. The more they hang out with the wrong kids, the more that nature rubs off on them. So whose kids are you hanging out with? The realities of heaven or the realities of this earth? Wherever you focus more, that's going to bring you into a greater attention to those things in life. You think about it, if you're focusing on what God's not doing, like the problems in your life, the challenges in your life, you'll actually see over a very short period of time, you can become skeptical of everything. You can complain about things. You can start to doubt and become pessimistic, right? I'm sure some of you, at least in this room, can admit you've gone into a season quickly like that. God's good, God's good, God's good. You you take your eyes off him. You put them on your circumstance. And then you start talking foolishly. You start talking based on your problems. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18, it's talking about in the New Testament, about God's anger. Yes, he's still good in his anger. I just want to read these to you because it it pulls some things out here that I think even Christians can fall into if we're not careful. This is in Romans 1, verse 18. It says, God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. This is not believers. I want you to know God didn't turn soft, like he didn't turn into a softy just because grace is here. He's still the same God. He says in verse 19, they know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. He's made made his his awesomeness, his wonder, his power known to each one of us. And they knew it too, but they turned and they rebelled against God. It says in verse 20, for ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky, right? God's, God's goodness is right before us every day in nature. It says through everything God made they can clearly see his invisible qualities. So there's an expectation that we come into encounter with God's invisible qualities. When the sun rises up in the morning, we should be in awe. God, you made this happen again? Every time a baby's born, every time you wake up and, oh, I have breath in my lungs again. This is a good day, God. We should actually stand in amazement of his invisible qualities by the things we can see. It says, uh, the next sentence says, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. And in verse 21, it says, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. So look at this. These people chose to not enter into worship. Because they never entered into worship, they never gave him thanksgiving for what he did. Because they're not giving him thanksgiving, they're not looking for God's activity. They're just looking for what's going on in their life. And look at the result. As a result, their minds become dark and confused. I think you can be a Christian and this can happen to you. You refuse to enter into time with God. You refuse to worship him. You refuse to thank him. You refuse to just turn your eyes to him and think about things of heaven. And you become confused. Maybe he's not good all the time. Maybe he does want me to, to, my, my life to just kind of mess up because I'm not doing right. It says, and they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. I actually think believers can do this if we're not in worship. We can actually think up of a foolish things of what God is like. Because we look at verses and we don't understand and we don't put it in the full context of who he is. It says, claiming to be wise, they instead become utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worship idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. You know, we don't, I, don't think you, I don't think anybody here has an idol in their house. I don't think you have like little statues that you're worshiping. But I do believe that we can make our problems our idols. I believe every day you wake up, and if you're sick, your bones still broke, marriage is still messed up. You know, th- these are real issues. But if we look to those things more than we look to his goodness, we will create idols out of those things. We will get confused. We will start asking questions that aren't according to God's word. I want you to look, we we read Romans 1, we see God's anger against the sinful, wicked people. In the midst of his goodness, there's a final judgment where people who have rebelled against God will be alienated from God forever. We don't hide those things when we're talking about his goodness. It's in his goodness that he allows us to have free will and he allows us to come to him and worship freely. He doesn't want a bunch of robots coming to him to worship him. So he gives you the choice to do that. But even in the midst of this, we say, wow, wait a minute. Does he want this to happen to them? And he's angry at these people. And we find a verse like in Ezekiel 33, verse 11. It's on the screen. It says, as surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of wicked people. Why did this happen? I don't know. But he takes no pleasure in it. We see the covenants being broken, Right? through the Israelites in the Old Testament. We looked at all that last week. We might not be able to explain God. It's actually senseless to think we can come close to trying to explain God away and understand him fully. So we see his anger in one verse and another one. It says, I take no pleasure in the death of wicked people. I only want them to turn from their wicked ways so they can live. Turn, turn from your wickedness, O people of Israel. Why should you die? I don't want to shove any of these things under the rug when we're talking about his goodness. God is always good. He's always righteous. And he is always holy. So instead of getting caught up in these arguments, right? When we start looking at what's happening, we almost create a case against God sometimes. We come up with these arguments or we enter into them with other people about how a loving God can send people to hell. We should actually know the truth is that a loving God doesn't send people to hell. He takes no pleasure in people going to hell. A loving God gives us a free choice to worship him or a free choice to turn away from him and a free choice to spend eternity with him or eternity completely separate from him. So God's not sitting up there just turning people away at will. He has given us absolute choice in our life to repent of our sins and turn toward him in his goodness or face a final judgment that will absolutely expel you from the presence of God for all eternity. But I think as Christians, as followers of Jesus, instead of entering into arguments like that and saying, why why do all these people are going to hell and this and that? How about this? How about we take our time helping people repent? Instead Instead of being so concerned about what we don't know about some of these situations, understand he's given us the answer to the problems in his word. So instead of saying, if God is good, why is there this problem? We could actually say, because God is good, he's given the church the solution. There's a huge difference. Well, if God is good, why are there children starving? No, because God is good, he has placed wealth in the hands of the righteous that can go on trips, that can establish self-producing, self-sustaining systems of food so there won't be poverty. One blames God and one puts God in a place of actually giving his people the solution to the problem. Your life will be completely different based on what you say there. If God is good, why is this happening? Versus because he is good, he has given us the answer. One sits back and questions God, the other gets busy handling the solutions he's given us. And you do, you see Christians all over the world sparked with a dream, a desire, a goal, something that's inside of them that says I can actually change the world with Jesus. I can actually make a difference. Instead of looking at the trillions of people who are in poverty, they see the one village. They see the one town. They see the one family that they can take care of. And they know because God's good, he's helping me. He's providing through me to help this family, this village, this nation, whatever it is. You guys see the difference? I believe faith plays an active role from the time we become renewed in Christ all the way through living out God's goodness through other people and ministering through other people. Faith is what actually enables us to know him and to experience his goodness. In Hebrews 11.3, it says, By faith, by faith we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. So how do we grasp this? Listen, I love technology and I love science and the study of it and trying to figure out all of the galaxies and the stars and how all this operates and gravity, like all that stuff. I honor and appreciate those things. But God's word said it's by faith that we come into a comprehension, into an understanding that an invisible God created what's what's visible now. So if we're looking at God's word and we can't see him, it's by faith that we're attaching ourselves to his goodness. It's by faith that we are walking with Jesus every day. You know, in Philippians 4, it talks about peace that surpasses understanding, okay? When we're in trouble, we're perfectly fine having that, right? We want a peace that goes far beyond our understanding, our capabilities to actually comprehend everything. We just want that peace. But the Bible also says God is good. God is good and does good. The Lord is good and his love endures forever, But sometimes when we're having a hard time, we allow His goodness to kind of slip away from us, right? We don't carry that same faith, that same attitude to say, God, I want Your goodness to permeate my life far surpassing my ability to understand it. It's by faith that I want to access the goodness of God, just like we access the peace of God. Talking about faith, just a few verses later, it says uh, in Hebrews 11, verse 6, that it's actually impossible to please God without faith. And I do not believe that's talking about just a one-time faith in Jesus, but an active life of faith, a constant drawing on the inheritance that God has given us as children of God. And look what he says right after this. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. So by faith, we're seeking him, right? Right? By faith, we're entering into worship. It's by faith. Listen, that means that there can be a lot of things out of place in your life and a lot of things going wrong, and you can still declare, God is good. By faith, I'm trusting and believing in his goodness. Just just like by faith, I'm coming into a place of worship where I'm surrendering my situations, I'm surrendering my current circumstances to him at the foot of the cross it's by faith I'm receiving His goodness. I love what it says, is that He rewards those who sincerely seek Him. Isn't that beautiful? He doesn't say, listen, once you're pretty much perfect, I'll reward you. Like He's already given us the inheritance when we came into Christ, and we access by faith. So when we seek Him, He rewards us. If you're not grasping and seeing the goodness of God in your life, my encouragement to you is just seek Him. Just spend time seeking Him. And by faith, believing He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. You'll see it in the Old Testament in Jeremiah 29 13. It says, You will seek Me and find Me when you seek Me with all your heart. Listen, God's not hiding from you so you can't be found. So he can't be found. You understand that? He's waiting for you to just seek him, and he'll be found by you. Like when I used to play hide and seek, we used to play hide and seek a lot in our house with our kids. I wouldn't hide in a place so I couldn't be found. That would kind of be silly. I would hide in a place so my young children could actually come and find me. In fact, when I would hear their little feet coming and in the room, I would get as excited as they were because I was about to be found. God's not hiding his goodness and hiding his righteousness and hiding his holiness so you can't find him. He's saying, just seek me and you'll find me. I will reward you as you sincerely seek me. It says, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and bring you back from captivity, which that was a specific, in in that culture, in that time of what was happening to them. But I believe the principle is everlasting. You just seek him and you'll be found and he will find you you'll find him. I believe that faith actually leads you to seeking. You can be in any circumstance in life and actually by faith seek him. As you're seeking him, that leads to worship. And when you're in worship of him, studying his word, praying, singing, whatever, then you receive revelation of his goodness. When you receive revelation, it leads to repentance. And when you repent, then you're believing what's right When you're believing what's right, it aligns your activity, your actions, your behavior, your lifestyle of what God is looking for in his people. You see how it's just a thread, but it starts with faith, seeking him and worship. And the rest is going to work itself out through the Holy Spirit. When we're looking at faith, faith has everything to do with trust, right? It's really hard to have faith in something that you don't trust. You guys with me still? So if you don't trust God's goodness, if you don't trust that he's a righteous, loving God, it's going to be very hard to seek him. Like it's hard to trust somebody when you have them on trial, right? You put them in the witness stand, you're questioning them and questioning them. them. It's really hard to trust them at that time. So we have to take God off trial. We have to declare once and for all, he's a good God. He's good all the time. We're not putting him on trial anymore. Yes, we can ask questions. Yes, he picks us up when we're doubting. Yes, when we're distraught and so on, he's there to answer those questions as we seek him. But we have to take him off trial. Take him off the stand. Let him be your God. Let him be the holy and righteous judge that he is. And we can just stand in awe once again of his goodness. Say, God, I know I'm not going to understand everything. But Psalm 33, 4, you can hold on. And it says, for the word of the Lord holds true and we can trust everything he does. We're not going to be able to figure God out all the time or half the time or a little bit of the time. But everything that he does can be trusted. So we come to a point where I'm going to close today at least. Because we, we have to be able to keep our faith active in the midst of mystery. there's a mystery going on in our life. We don't know why it's happening, but our faith can remain active. And I've mentioned it several times today. Why was one person saved and turned their life to Jesus and then their life turned around? Another person rebelled against God. I don't know that answer, but God is good. Why did one person get healed and the other person not get healed and pass away? I don't know that, but I know God is good. Right, why, why did one marriage get restored and another one, you know, the couple decided, I don't know, but I know God is good. And I know he's a restorer. Listen, people talk about Job all the time. All the bad things that happened to Job and God opened up this doorway. Listen, read the end of Job. We, talk, we blame God for Job so much. Read the end. Job was given double of what he lost. Double was restored to him. That's the answer to our question. It's the giving back of what the devil stole from him, carried into the new covenant with Jesus being our Lord and Savior, the giver of everything that we would ever want. In the the middle of my mystery, I will still declare God is good. Even in Ephesians 3.19, it says, may you experience, again, this is not like I've studied out the right verse and I know it. Listen, God's word is clear. We should study. We should show ourselves approved. I'm not demeaning head knowledge. I'm not demeaning intellectualism. What I'm saying here is that we should also come into by faith an encounter with God. So it's saying here, may you experience the love of Christ, though it is far too great to understand fully. Listen to what the verse is saying may you actually experience something that you'll never be able to understand. We said, we don't want to be about experience. It's just the word. I know this is in his word. His word is inviting you into an encounter with his love that you will never fully understand. And though you should read this word and study this word and understand this word as much as you can, you're actually called into an invitation with an experience Of the love that you'll never be able to chart out, you'll never be able to graph out, you'll never be able to color code because He's God and He's a good God. I love this. The next verse, the next sentence in this verse says, Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. This is what we need. We need more followers of Jesus to actually being made complete in the fullness and the power that comes from him because we've experienced his love, a love that we cannot fully understand. How can you be so joyful when you're going through this? I don't know. I just know he's good. Why can't we anchor ourselves to his goodness enough to carry us through in joy, in completeness to what Christ wants to do through our lives? Look, I don't want you to go home and try really hard to have joy. I just have to like think happy thoughts and like it's not there. No, it's still there, but he's there and he's greater than that. Right? Like we all go through stuff, man. We have to come back to the anchor. God is good. The back screen's on, so I have no clue what it's not on. I don't know what time it is, but I'm going to read one more portion of Scripture and we're going to close. John the Baptist, the greatest of prophets, if you want to turn to Luke chapter 7. John the Baptist came into at least a moment of questioning if Jesus was the Messiah because he was in the middle of a mystery. Life circumstances weren't matching with what Jesus was able to provide. And because of that, he's the forerunner, right? John the Baptist was the forerunner, the one to announce that the kingdom of God is at hand to repent, and turn from the sins. And in verse 18, it says, the disciples of John the Baptist, this is while John is in prison. You have to catch this. He is a forerunner of Jesus, and now he's in prison. This is a mystery, right? You're following Jesus. You're, you're in, for him, he's a forerunner. He's declaring all these things, and now he's in prison. It says, the disciples of John the Baptist told John about everything Jesus was doing. So John called for two of his disciples and he sent them to the Lord to ask him, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? Now, wait a minute. When Jesus crested the hill earlier in the gospels and he says, look, here he is. Here's the one that takes away the sins of the world. He's the one that says, I baptize you in water, but this man here, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John was not confused about who Jesus was until mystery came into place. Why am I in prison? So now because he's experiencing something that Jesus actually came to deliver people from, he's saying, is this the one? Or should we start start looking for someone else? Can you imagine John sitting in a dark, cold, wet prison wondering, have I missed it? Because he was experiencing something that he felt like Jesus should have already delivered him from. I have no clue where I am. Verse 21, let's go there. At that very time, Wait a minute, let me go to verse 20. So John's two disciples found Jesus and said, John the Baptist sent us to ask, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many people's, people of their diseases, illnesses, and evil spirits. He restored sight to many who were blind. So Jesus was still doing what he was called to do. Then he told John's disciples, go back and tell John. Go back to John and tell him what you have seen and heard. You've seen, listen, they have heard the gospel being preached and they have seen all of these miracles. They've seen and heard everything Jesus said he came to do. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, and the dead are being raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. Then Jesus says, verse 23, which I think we can all receive for ourselves. And he added, God blesses those. Some of your translations say, blessed are those who do not fall away because of me. And you would think, how in the world do you fall away from God because of Jesus? But when you look at this, John's in prison, and he knows what Jesus already declared a few chapters back in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. You can put it on the screen. Jesus stands up in a synagogue, and he reads from the Old Testament, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to bring the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released and the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. John's sitting in prison and thinking, wait a minute, captives are supposed to be released. Possibly not understanding the spiritual nature of that. He's saying, I'm experiencing something that's outside or I'm experiencing something here that is opposed to what Jesus came to do. He starts to question The goodness, basically, of Jesus. Why am I still in prison? Whatever situation you're in, whatever circumstance you're in, you might feel like you're bound by something. I'm encouraging you today, do not question the goodness of God. Do not say, are you the one? Don't say, if you're good. Say, because you're good. I know that you are with me through this. I know that you are working all things for the good. Right? Romans 8.28, you can put the verse up there. If we know this is the end result, that he is working all these things out for our good, then we'll know even in the middle of a mess, God is good. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.